This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. An all-new version of one of the seminal SUVs has just been teased online. We'll tell you what it is, when it will come to market, and what we think about the whole thing coming up. And despite rosy predictions, this year has been an extremely tough year for electric vehicle startup manufacturers. We'll give you the gory details a little later in the show. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at DrivingToday.com slash autoinsurance. That's DrivingToday.com auto hyphen insurance. I should have put a slash in there. There's a slash in there somewhere, but you'll figure it out. Hi, I'm Jack Nierad. With me is guest host Matt DiLorenzo. Matt is a longtime auto expert, the author of the recent book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. Matt, are you a tightwad? You, you know, yeah, I don't think you're such a tightwad. Nice well, guy. when it comes to my own cars, I am. You know, yeah, I, it's, I, I don't spend money like a drunken sailor. No, true enough. Way. A guy who had a PT Cruiser one time, you know. Right. My Look, first car was a Gremlin. <laughs> yeah, there you have it. Say no more. Yeah, say no more is right. Look for that book on Amazon. And Matt, great to have you with us. And while we're on book chat, this is not book chat, but we're going to talk about cars here pretty soon. But I also have a new book, Dance in the Dark. It's now available as a paperback and Kindle edition. It's on Amazon, of course. It's a suspense thriller, and it's a follow-up to my true crime book, Fatal Photographs. So you might want to have a look at that. Matt, you're going to talk about cars on this show, too, aren't you? And uh, what car are you going to be telling us about? I'm going to talk about the Golf R. You know, that's been one of the uh, great enthusiast cars. Uh, VW has done a terrific job with it. But uh, it's not all that it's cracked up to be, but we'll get into that a little later. Yeah, we will get into that. I'd love to explore that a little bit. I will be road testing the 2023 Kia Sportage HEV. My wife and I had a chance to drive that thing for something like six, eight hundred miles uh, all around California fairly recently. So we'll tell you all about that, give you a full report on the brand new, it's all new, Kia Sportage, and that's a hybrid electric vehicle. A great interview for you. Jonathan Rivers is the Honda product planner and expert on the all new 2023 Pilot SUV and the Accord sedan, also all new for 2023. They're coming thick and fast from Honda. So we'll get an inside look at both in this episode. But before we do anything else, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. So stay with us with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Red back with you. Chris Teague can't be with us this week. He had a Family emergency, something came up in in Maine that he had to deal with. So Matt is ably co-hosting for us. Thanks so much for doing that, Matt. I got uh, a story here. I I have kind of a personal connection to this story in a way because it's about uh, the Scout. You know, it used to be the International Scout, built by International Harvester. And I I always thought that was a really cool vehicle. In fact, the... uh, protagonist in my book, Dance in the Dark, drives a scout. Excellent. I'm just kind of putting that together as I'm, I'm going through this story. Uh, but uh, Volkswagen has bought the scout name. They're going to bring out new scouts uh, as EV off-roaders coming up. And they have uh, kind of teased the look of the first couple. 
And uh, I think it's going to be kind of an interesting exercise. I mean, Volkswagen has always given us some somewhat oddball vehicles in a way, the thing and the microbuses and all that. What's your take on their uh, connection to the Scout? Well, you know, I think for the electric vehicle market, you need a hook. And um, I, I just think that cars that look like every other cars and they just happen to be electric, especially if you're going to justify the price premium over a traditional right. gas-powered car, you got to have a story that goes with it. And Volkswagen has been full of stories. You know, they brought the Beetle back. Uh, they're going to bring back the microbus as an electric with the ID uh, buzz. And I think that this kind of fits into that overarching thing, because if you look at the popularity of the uh, the Bronco, the Ford Bronco, that look, that off-road, rugged, kind of Spartan, really cool yeah. uh, off-roader look, that's, that's basically the Scout's calling card. I mean, the Bronco really kind of traced around the Scout in yeah. a lot of ways. I mean, there are very great similarities exactly. between the lines of the original Bronco and the original Scout. I mean, sometimes you see a Bronco and think it's right. a Scout and vice versa. And that the same holds true. I've seen the sketches and they now have released some, some photos, uh, teased them recently online. I'm not necessarily wild about what they've done. I think there's a little too modern in a way. I'd like to see... I always thought the Scout was kind of relentlessly utilitarian, correct? <laughs> and and that was kind of that was the coolest thing about it. Yeah. And uh, I and maybe they've lost a little of that, but uh, you know I'm still excited about this thing. I, I think they're going to come to market in 2026. Prototypes shown maybe next year. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I think it's going to be a cool vehicle. Um, and I'm with you. I I like the basic silhouette of the vehicle. It reminds me of the original. I'm I'm waiting for like kind of a bare bones back to basics kind of vehicle, especially when you look at the price and when you look at how much they're charging for these things. And if they want to get young people to drive them, I think having entry level type EVs that evoke the entry level kind of cheap vehicles that we know from our youth, which, you know, the Scout certainly was part of that whole uh, scene. Uh, I think that's a smart way to go. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see if they can do that. Of course, EVs by, by nature are expensive because batteries are so darn expensive. Exactly. You know? And speaking of EVs, it has been not a great year for EV startups, even though people are excited about EVs. And we've driven some EVs that I think They're we terrific. really like, yep. you know, from the startups. Uh, Rivian has interesting vehicles, but boy, they have lost a lot of money this year. Uh, they lost $1.72 billion, that is with a B, <laughs> in just third quarter of this year. So They're projecting to lose... $5.4 billion for this full year. I mean, you know, that adds up to a, a you know, kind of a, a lot of money. <laughs> well, you know, I think it was interesting because when a lot of these ideas were kind of thrown out there as ideas, they were able to generate a tremendous amount of venture capital money and interest from mainline manufacturers like Ford was a big investor in Rivian and they were going to actually do some product development together. And and that's one of the interesting things about electric vehicles is that it has opened the door to new competition because everybody's basically on the a level playing field when it comes to sourcing batteries and motors and technology. I think the dirty little secrets coming out is that you got to build the rest of the vehicle. And the legacy yeah. manufacturers have a huge leg up on startups when it comes to, to building a vehicle. And that's what these are. They're electric vehicles, but right. in the end, 
they are vehicles. They're expensive to build. There's quality control problems. You know, Rivian's been trying to ramp up the volume, and uh, I don't think they've gotten over twenty or thirty thousand a year. And they were projecting to be selling upwards of hundreds of thousands of vehicles, and they're just not. Yeah, and that makes a big difference. And Rivian isn't the only one that's suffering. I mean, Lucid and the Lucid Air is one of the coolest vehicles I have ever driven. Super, super car. At the same time, they're projecting to lose $670 million. Right. Nikola is also, you know, in the, the losing area. They're losing what, the equivalent of 28 cents per share. Fisker has lost 49 cents per share. They're based right down the street from me here, actually. And Lordstown uh, has lost $154 million. Canoe, also a huge, a huge loss, $164 million. So all of these startups, highly touted, pretty cool products in a lot of ways. It's just been tough times for them. You know, uh, and you look at a lot of them and they're high-end vehicles. And, and so they don't need to do the volumes because their margins are so high. But again, they're having that difficulty in getting these vehicles to the market and finding the buyers. So um, and naturally, they're going to lose money. Another one that's not on your list that had a big blow up this week was uh, Faraday Future. That was another one. And, 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 and Biden. And, you know, you can go on and on and on. And so it's going to be interesting to see who survives if if how many beyond Tesla, maybe Rivian, um, you know, Bollinger now is tying up with uh, that um, battery concern back in um, the one battery, our, our next energy. Uh, yeah, right. To, to Michigan, try and yes. pump new life into that. It's, you know, the auto the auto industry ain't beanbag. No, absolutely. You got, you know, entrenched global manufacturers, huge amounts of investment required uh, is who you're competing against. And look at how long it took Tesla to get going. I mean, they were in a money losing state for what, six, seven years? They were always underwater. Uh, it was only their venture capital uh, keep, it kept flowing in that kept them afloat. Right. And uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether these other startups can emulate that and keep going through these really tough times. And I think the other part about it is, is the government subsidies. I mean, in some of the early startups, the money was like flying all over the place. And, you know, they've had some fairly major alternative energy blowups like Solyndra and things like that. And uh, I don't think the pockets will be wide open. And if they are open, they're going to be for the legacy manufacturers and not some clean sheet of paper startup uh, manufacturer. Yeah. Right. And it's really interesting now that uh, what was <laughs> touted to be a, a bill that was supposed to promote, among other things, EV sales is actually diminishing EV sales and will probably do so in 2023 as well, unless that gets fixed. And there's not much likelihood that that's going to get fixed. Yeah, I, it, it'll be interesting to see because the composition of the new Congress, I even though the Republicans have taken the House, you know, the, the really disappointed people in this whole thing, and they got a lot of power in Washington, are the Koreans. And they promised to build, you know, Hyundai was going to build a $5.5 billion plant in Georgia. Yeah. And all of a sudden, their tax credits get pulled out from underneath them. Uh, stay tuned. There might be uh, there might be another round of tax incentives uh, in the future. Yeah, it could happen, but we'll see. And it'll be tough to get anything through a divided Congress now. So. Right, right. It'll be interesting all the way around. 
Well, uh, quick before we go, uh, collision warnings and emergency braking seem to be working in the real world, which is good. There was a, a recent study by the Department of Transportation and uh, a consortium of car companies, and they found that this stuff actually works. Uh, it cut rear-end crashes in half. Of course, it also stops you quickly when nothing's going wrong. <laughs> a lot of times we found that, too. Um, but uh, that is out there. So, uh, you know, that's something that I, I thought is interesting. When we come back, we're going to be road testing the Volkswagen Golf R. I am dying to hear what you have to say about that, Matt. And I was driving the all-new 2023 Kia Sportage, the hybrid version. So stay with us for that. With Matt Lorenzo. this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Stay with us. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt Lorenzo. This is Jack Red with you. And Matt is the author of a, a very good and recent book about EV buying, The Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. You should look for that book. Matt, I, it's got a long title. Tell us what the title is, uh, where people can get it, and then, then sure. basically the premise of the book. Well, the premise for the book is how to buy an affordable electric car. And uh, the subtitle is A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. And it, it, it shows, you know, a lot of the vehicles we've been talking about, are, uh, electric vehicles, are, are in excess of $50,000. But there is a whole subset of vehicles there under $40,000. And I, I felt I needed to do sort of a how-to guide for the average motorist driving an average car who is thinking, well, maybe I'd like to get an electric car. But there's a lot of different moving parts to the EV ownership experience. And part of it is based on my own experience in buying one of the cheapest electric cars out there, which is uh, the Nissan Leaf. So uh, basically, I discuss what it's like to drive one, what it takes to charge one, uh, what's, you know, how do you shop for one? Um, the, the big determinant is uh, range. You know, the farther you want to go on a charge, the more you're going to pay. So I, it, it really is, I think, um, I, I hope to clear the air about what it's like to own an electric vehicle and, and put a little bit of realism in it. And the fact is, as a second vehicle or as, as, a, as a primary vehicle, even in some circumstances, uh, there are some alternatives out there that you can you can go electric. Well, it's an excellent book, and, and you're an excellent auto journalist. You've been doing this forever and ever, and uh, people should look for that on Amazon. So, yep, and I'm also on Barnes and Noble. Ah, well. okay, so That's it's available true. in Nook, Kindle, and paperback on both sites. Ah, so, terrific! Yeah, uh, look for that. Great yep. stuff. Well, tell us about the Volkswagen Golf R. This is a kind of a venerated car, and yet I, I sensed a little skepticism <laughs> when you talked about it a little earlier. Yeah, you know, if the Golf R were a Facebook a Facebook page a listing a relationship, it would be, it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, the, and the roots of the Golf R are back to the GTI, which were really fun, hot hatchbacks, front-wheel drive, manual transmission. The Golf R is a much more sophisticated, much more powerful 300 horsepower. It's got all-wheel drive. It still has a manual transmission, and it's an absolute ball to drive. The problem is that there's an overlay of electronics on the vehicle that takes some of the fun away. You know, um, they uh, Volkswagen's invested very heavily in touchscreen technology. There are plenty of touchscreen surfaces, very few buttons in there. 
And I find that that really takes away from the driving experience is the fact that you got to dig through a couple of menus to do things. The other really annoying feature of the vehicle was in eco mode, it was telling me how to drive the car. Yeah, well, Germans tell you how to drive the car anyway. And when they oh, can right. when they can put a little bit of themselves in the car and be speaking exactly. in your ear, I mean, they, they will do that. It, it was right. I was getting these little warnings up on the thing like, don't declutch un, uh, until you get under 1300 RPM or um, check your what gear you're in. You know, and this was mainly an eco mode to try and save money. And I'm like on. I don't need to be reminded. I'm, you know, I yeah, I'm in eco mode to begin with. <laughs> yeah, right. And and so I didn't really, I, you know, I I drove it in sport mode, but I didn't pay attention that much because I'm driving fast. But it's a, it, it, like I said, it's an absolute ball to drive. The fit and finish is great. It's really nice interior. It just lost some of the spirit because of the of the technology. And I'm like going, you guys, you don't you don't have to do this to please your audience. And I'm sure a lot of this stuff helps jack the price of the vehicle up so it's not a um an affordable fun hatch you know it's now in the high 30s low forty thousand dollar sport it's a sports car basically very useful with four doors and a hatch uh but um i was a little disappointed fun to drive but too much work (laughs) (laughs) well and having the car talk to you and kind of scold you that's always off-putting i think right Right, and right. I, I think the GTI kind of is the is the right balance there, maybe for that car. Or you know, it's more <laughs> and affordable still and available. Right, yeah. it's more affordable. It's got a two liter engine. It's two hundred horsepower. It's a little bit more basic, a lot more fun to drive. There are a couple of more manual controls in it, but there's still a touchscreen with you know haptic things going on and all. You know, it's just I find it very distracting if I can't intuitively look at something and control it and make a change or get the vehicle to be configured the way I want to uh, want it to be, then it's of no use. Well, and there's something to driving a uh, kind of slower car toward its limit. And I yes. think maybe with the Golf R on the typical street, <laughs> you can't get yeah. near its limit or you'd be kind of crazy to do so. Exactly. It, it, it really is suitable. I mean, I, it, I was hoping... I, I remember driving one on a track a few years ago, and it, like I said, it's an absolute ball to drive. But the GTI, I think, is a better civilian-oriented vehicle than than the than the Golf R. Yeah. Well, I was driving a civilian-oriented vehicle through and through, <laughs> and that is the 2023 Kia Sportage. Of course, that is uh, a compact sport utility vehicle. In fact, it's one of the uh, early compact sport utility vehicles. It was actually introduced in 1993. Wow. So it predates the RAV4, it predates the Honda CRV, it predates a lot of them. Uh, It's a five passenger crossover that emphasizes utility, of course. Uh, And it's offered in conventional hybrid versions and plug-in hybrid versions. So I think that's really useful. I think previous generations of the Sportage were a little undersized. You probably agree with that, right, Matt? Yeah, they've grown. You know, I I, I was in I was recently in the Sportage, and I was impressed. Um, there's a lot better rear seat uh, room in it. It's almost a compact, you know. But these things were like subcompact, and now they're there's like mission creep. Yeah, well, this has become a compact. Bigger. I mean, this is right. designed to compete with the CRV right. and the Rav4 heads up. It wasn't necessarily before, but that's where he has placed it. They yeah. now have other vehicles that are that are smaller than that. So it's Kia's best-selling model too. 
I, I think it's right size for yeah. what it is. Well, the CRV and the Sportage are almost exactly the same size. It's it's one of those things where you can see benchmarking happening right before your very eyes, where the yep. where the Kia people went, okay, they want it bigger, like this right. one, and right. that's almost exactly what they did. It's seven inches longer than it was in 2022, and it's an inch taller. That's so, a big gain in dimensions. Yeah, and yeah. and the other thing I really liked about it was the interior. Did, did you find that it was really well well executed? Yeah, very well done. I think Kia is doing really excellent interiors across the board. I mean, I spent a lot of time, and it's my wife and I spent a long time in this car, Sportage, driving yeah. you know something like 700 miles in the, in this over a weekend. A lot to like about the fuel economy. A lot to like about the the engine power, and just as you say, the interior was almost luxurious. So I I mean, this is not a, a super expensive car. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, I can give you a little information about price. It starts around $27,000, $28,000. If you get all-wheel drive, you go up uh, another $1,800. The hybrid that I was driving cost probably about $35,000 or so. So for a hybrid vehicle like that, very useful. I think that was a good price. The hybrid power power plant is kind of interesting, or the, the powertrain, I should say. Pretty interesting. A turbocharged 1.6 liter engine with two electric motors. There's a drive motor and then an electric starter generator that's used for stop start and all that. So that's kind of cool. 227 horsepower. So plenty of horsepower, a lot of torque, and the peak torque curve is just flat as the Kansas Plains. It's just, uh, you always have torque. But uh, fuel economy for this, uh, and I can attest to this good fuel economy, was 42 miles per gallon in the city, wow. 44 miles per gallon on the highway. So 43 combined. We were over 40 most of the time. Maybe dipped a little under 40 because I'm a little bit lead-footed. Uh, and we were driving on, on highways a lot of the time where... That isn't the greatest for uh, hybrid mileage, but just a lot to like. Uh, it also has, and you probably experienced this, the infotainment system in in uh, most Kia products, and certainly in the Sportage, really good, easy to use. I mean, what's your take on that? Oh, they, they have a great um, high-def center screen that's very easy to read, um, and it's very user-friendly. You know, that I don't hate all touch screens, but I do like, a touch screen that has uh, a reasonable number of, of analog backups for things like the climate controls and things like that. Yeah. And they have that in, in the Kia. So they, they kind of check all the boxes. Yeah. And they have knobs for the radio and, you know, things right. like that, things to help us out. It has a really big touch screen, actually. A 12.3 inch touch screen is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, in the segment. So that's good. And it has all. All the typical stuff you'd expect, uh, Android Auto, Apple CarPlay, HD Radio, uh, Uvo Telematics, voice recognition. Wireless device charging is standard across the board, which is kind of unusual. You know, usually you have to pay a yep. little bit more for that. So, And it also has uh, Google Assistant hookups. You can use Amazon Alexa and Google Assistant uh, if you care to. I don't care to talk to machines. Uh, no, very much. Do I, I just yeah. don't do that so much, but a uh, good interior. It uses, instead of leather upholstery, it has Syntex simulated leather upholstery, but it looks really good and feels just like leather. So I think that's uh, a nice thing. All around, just a lot to like about this vehicle. Not much to dislike. I mean, plenty of power and torque, handles just fine. 
plenty of interior space now on the par with the the RAV4 and the CRV. It's heads up competitors. In a lot of ways, I've got to believe the Kia is a better buy. I mean, Kia is uh, the vehicle dependability champ, according to JD Power. They've done a great job of building uh, highly reliable vehicles and not having the the dings that some of the other uh, more touted manufacturers are getting in terms of initial quality. So I I really think this vehicle is a winner. I think it is too. And I, I think the real secret here, get the hybrid. You know, that mileage that you got is is exceptional. And the uh, walk up in price is maybe about fifteen hundred, two thousand yeah, bucks. Yeah, it's really not you'll that get, much. You'll, you'll earn that back uh, in pretty short order, especially at the current prices of gas. Right, right, and that's a tightwad telling you that, folks. So <laughs> you can believe it because he, you know, he pays attention. There you go. Yeah. When we come back, we will have an interview with Jonathan Rivers. He is Honda product planner. He's an expert on the all new twenty twenty three Honda Pilot SUV. And the 2023 Honda Accord sedan. So look for that. That's coming right up on this episode. And uh, thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you. And we are outside Los Angeles, California, in Signal Hill, California, with a great guest for you. Uh, Jonathan Rivers is manager of product planning at Honda. Thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thanks so much for hosting me here because really interesting stuff you're showing, including the all-new Honda Accord, the all-new Honda Pilot. Let's dive into both of those. Let's dive into Pilot first. Uh, you know, this is kind of an SUV market these days, right? So tell us about the all-new Honda Pilot. Well, the all-new Honda Pilot is launching as a 2023 model year, uh, should be arriving at dealerships by the end of this year, calendar year 2022, uh, and we can't wait for it to arrive. It's the fourth generation of the Pilot, but it's really the largest, boldest, most capable Pilot we've ever made. When you talk about sport utilities, utility is important, right? SUV utility is important. Size is one of those factors, right? I mean, it's something that you key in, and I think Honda does a, a particularly good job about sorting out utility, putting in storage areas, cup holders, those kind of things. Tell us a bit about how you go about developing an SUV. Well, as you mentioned, I think for Honda, you know, one of our prowess is just being able to do great packaging of our vehicles. Uh, and so we always keep that at the forefront of our minds when we're developing new vehicles. And that was definitely the case with the Honda Pilot. Um, there's plenty of storage throughout cubbies for just about everything you can imagine, um, you know, a, a multitude of cu uh, cup holders that, you know, carry a various size of drinks. We know people like to have these large, yeah, bad know, size I mean, 32 yeah. ounce jugs, right? So we have at least eight cup holders that can support that. Um, but one of the really unique selling points of this new pilot is on certain trims, you're going to have the ability to remove the middle seat in the second row. And while that isn't revolutionary, what is, is the fact that we have enough space behind the third row in a cubby where you can put it in there and take it with you and you don't lose any interior space. So it's, it's fantastic to have that flexibility to go from seven passenger to eight passenger. Yeah, really amazing to, to do that. And, and how easily it installs. It's fairly light. I think it's under 35 pounds or something like that. And then installs between the two middle seats. And uh, suddenly you have a, a bench seat there, right? That can seat three. You have a bench seat there. And when it folds down still in place, it has places for cup holders. You know, throw your cell phone in there. So it's the ultimate in flexibility. And if you wanted to leave it in the garage for some reason, you could. And you gain extra storage, a significant amount of extra storage that's covered by a floor that 
actually can uh, exist in two levels, right? Uh, yeah, and it's great because it's reversible too. that top lid. You know, it's carpeted on one side, but a hard plastic on the other side. So when you're throwing your ski boots or things that are wet, it's perfect to have that flexibility. What do you think is the uh, most exciting thing to you about the Pilot? Where, where do you think this Pilot really is an advance over the previous really successful Honda Pilot? Yeah, I, I think it's definitely going to be the Trail Sport trim. Um, now, we've launched that, that nomenclature on other models, um, but this is really the iteration that's going to make people think, wow, Honda can go off-road, you can be on your trails. And that was really the focus for the people that designed and developed this new pilot. Um, you know, most of the, uh, the trails that exist here in the U.S. are rated at a moderate level, and that's over half of the trails that are out there, and this pilot can tackle any of them with no problem. Yeah, it struck me that uh, when we first saw the SUV craze when you were about five years old and when I was a, a middle-aged man, there was a lot of off-road to it. And then the vehicles kind of evolved to be more on-road vehicles. There wasn't much talk about going off-road. And now we're seeing a revival of that. We're seeing a lot of brands come out with vehicles kind of like the Trail Sport. What do you think has led to that? You know, obviously, let's be honest, I think the pandemic had some immediate, you know, in these last few years, people have wanted to get out more. They want to be with their families, uh, you know, going to national parks, going to trails is a great way to be out and have space and everything. So that's kind of a, a very recent trend. But but to your point, SUVs have always been very popular. Uh, their popularity now is through the roof. Um, but to your point, I think it's been hard to find the balance where you can get that on-road performance and off-road performance at the same time. But I think this new pilot, and especially the Trail Sport, nails that. Well, I want to dive into the Trail Sport specifics, but let's get a few more specifics on the, the standard pilot. It has an all-new engine. Although the same displacement, I think, as the previous engine, but it's all new. Tell us about that. That's right. This is the uh, the fourth generation of the Pilot. Um, you know, we've gone through a different uh, iteration almost every generation, kind of going from more bold and rugged to kind of more curvaceous and, you know, very clean lines. And I think this generation Pilot, this fourth generation, really nails the head on the styling. It's very, very mature, but very, very bold and powerful at the same time. Uh, to your point, it has an all-new V6 engine, 3.5 liters, 285 horsepower, and so it's plenty powerful, but it was really designed uh, to ensure that we were able to meet any future uh, emission re regulations as well. So we can have this in our lineup and uh, we didn't take a hit on any kind of power efficiency. Is it available in front drive and all wheel drive? Yes, uh, you know, that engine has made it to our second generation 10 speed transmission. And to your point, the, uh, the all wheel drive system, which we call IVTM4, uh, that is available and standard on certain trims. And multiple trims, right? Yeah, there's really a pilot for everyone, right? So you start with the sport trim, uh, we have our EXL trim, probably our volume trim, uh, we have the new trail sport, and then we have a touring and an elite, and the elite gives you everything. What's your favorite feature of the elite? What is it, a cool thing that it has that uh, you really like? I really like the 10.2 inch digital instrument cluster. Those are kind of all the rave these days. People want the, you know, the graphics, the customization that they offer. And I think on the Elite Trim, it does just that. So for me, that's my favorite. Let's uh, jump into the trail sport. I mean, I, I love driving off-road. I've, I've done it at other manufacturers' expense for a long time and really developed a taste for it. It struck me, and I, I don't think you would disagree, that the first development of trail sport was more uh, appearance than it was uh, actual hardware that was off-road oriented and quite successful. A lot of people want that look and uh, that makes a lot of sense. Now though, you, you've taken it in a more hardware oriented 
direction, right? There's, there's things about the vehicle that are very specifically all-terrain oriented. Tell us about that. So it's really been a, a wish of ours for, for several years to, to show, you know, we've always had great, powerful all-wheel drive systems that were quite capable. Um, but to your point, we really wanted to provide the visual to back that up. And that's where that first trail sport trim came. And that was on a mid-cycle redesign. So, you know, kind of limited in maybe how far we could take it. But with this new pilot being all new from the ground up, a new architecture. Uh, this really allowed us to make some, some great hardware changes that truly make it the most capable uh, SUV we've ever made. Uh, so first, you know, it's the first time Honda's put on uh, all-terrain uh, tires, a standard on this trim. Um, you know, they're 265 and width, Continental AT tires, so... Beefy you know, sidewall. Beefy looks, sidewall yeah. with 18-inch with wheels. You know, we've even, even casted in the logo trail sport into those wheels and knowing that people might be hitting rocks and boulders as they're off-roading. The design is the perfect blend of not only sport but rugged to ensure there's no damage to those wheels. And then, you know, we've done things like, you know, suspension changes to allow greater ride height. There's a standard uh, trailer hitch, even a full-size spare tire, which in this marketplace today is a rarity. Yeah, and really important when you're going off-road, right? Because you can put a hole in a tire and you really want a full-size full spare to remedy that problem, don't you? Absolutely. No compact spare is going to kind of, you know, fill that void. You need a full size. Yeah, it's not going to cut it out there. Interesting all-wheel drive system. You touched on part of it, but it has a lot of capabilities, especially for the trail sport, uh, tuned to that kind of driving, right? That's right. It's, a, uh, it's, a, it's the second generation of this rear differential. We call it IVTM4, uh, and it allows a lot of the power to be sent to the rear, up to 70%, 75% in the trail sport, and then from there, it can send a certain amount of power to either outboard wheel. And sometimes, you know, especially as you're off-roading, you know, you might have a wheel up actually off the ground. Well, we've even had a special software logic built in that can do brake torque and uh, vectoring in the front with the rear, rear differential in the rear, and it'll ensure that you get that tire back down and you get home safely. Well, it's exciting, and that's all, it's gonna come to market when the rest of the pilot line comes to market, right? That's right, so again, at the end of this year, uh, all of those trims that we mentioned will be available for sale. Yeah, exciting. Let's, let's shift over to Honda Accord, one of the franchise players, certainly, a, a vehicle that needs no introduction, all new, another generation. Uh, I'm not sure of the generation. What is it, 11th or 12th? It's 11th generation for okay. Accord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us about what we're going to see. So the 2023 Honda Accord and its 11th generation is really taking Accord's design to the next level. Um, you know, following the ethos of the many other models that we launched this year, it's a very clean, elegant, premium design. Uh, quite a bit of a departure from the previous 10th generation Accord, but still a very long, sleek, stylish sedan, kind of that fastback look. And, and it, I think a really good looking front end too. I think a, a departure kind of front end, I think uh, has some style to it in a different way than uh, Accords have had before. Yeah, very much an open surface grill, you know, premium LED lighting. Uh, but for me, I think it's the rear. That full LED array of tail lights that goes across the trunk lid is gonna make a statement with that new Accord. Yeah, that is, that is a good looking uh, rear end treatment for, for certain. And interiors, I think Honda has been really up its game in interiors recently. I, that's certainly what the market has demanded. Tell us about that. 
Uh, well, to your point, we've really wanted to have a very clean design. So as you've seen in, you know, the 11th Gen Civic, the HRV, CRV, we kind of went into this design ethos where, you know, we were carrying over the vents for the HVAC across the dash, very straight, clean, simple lines, right? And, and that's very much true in this new Accord as well. But it's not a carryover. It's an all-new design. And it really makes a, you know, a, a visual wow when you sit inside. And from powertrain, you're going to have two powertrains. One, a more conventional and, and in some ways carryover from the previous Accord, I think, a, a turbocharged 1.5 liter, and then a hybrid, a hybrid powertrain, correct? That's right. So the entry uh, powertrain is a 1.5 liter turbocharged engine carried over from the 10th Gen Accord, uh, but we do have an all new two motor direct drive hybrid system. Uh, it's fantastic because, you know, in this generation, you're still going to get fantastic driving dynamics and performance and, of course, that amazing fuel efficiency as well. Yeah. Tell our listeners, they might look at a hybrid and go, oh, is that something I want? Is that more complication than I need? But the added drivability, the ability to add torque when you need it from the electric motors, really uh, increases the overall satisfaction of that vehicle significantly, doesn't it? Absolutely. Um, I think in this day and age of you know, very high gas prices, um, this is the perfect time to launch this all new hybrid system. Um, we're expecting half the sales to be this hybrid trim. And, and again, with the, with the new dynamics, the new drivetrain, uh, you, don't have, you don't really have to compromise, right? It drives fantastic. Yeah, with any, if anything, you're better off. You have more horsepower. Yeah. Probably more, a it, lot more torque. A lot more torque and uh, much better fuel economy on top of it. Well, and, and, and then one other maybe un, unknown benefit is just it's more quiet, right? It, it actually, especially around city driving, you know, you're going to feel it kind of driving in EV mode quite a bit. Uh, so it's quiet, it's premium, it's quick. And yet again, you get really good fuel efficiency as well. Right. And when we come back, we'll have more from Honda's Jonathan Rivers about the all-new Honda Accord. So stay with us for that right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. Let's continue our interview with Jonathan Banks, Honda product planner, talking about the soon-to-be-introduced 2023 Honda Accord. Infotainment system, crucial. Big changes in this one, in the Honda Accord. And exciting stuff. Tell us about it. Yeah, so we're now putting in on certain trims a 12.3 inch center display, and that's the largest we've ever put in a Honda. But really, the centerpiece is on the top trim, and it's what we're calling Google built in. So Honda, you know, partnered, worked directly with Google to provide an all new infotainment system. Uh, of course, there's still customers that love their CarPlay and Android Auto options, and those are still there as well. Um, but with this new Google built-in, what it is, is it's essentially three applications. So you have a Google Assistant, and that's, you know, integrated into the vehicle. So, I mean, technically, you could leave your phone at home. And when you're in the vehicle, you can say, hey, Google, uh, um, you know, please turn on the AC. And, you know, boom, it comes right on. And so you can... You I've know, seen you actually do that. I will see. <laughs> so there's a multitude of voice commands that you, can, that you can use. It's super fast, super responsive. That's the first component. Uh, the second one is the Google Maps. 
So again, even without your cell phone, it's integrated into the vehicle. Again, super fast. You can pinch and zoom. You've got all your POIs in there so you know where you're going. Uh, and what's great is because it's integrated into the vehicle, you can actually display it in the digital instrument cluster behind the steering wheel as well. So you've got multiple views for the maps now. And then lastly, the kind of maybe key component is the fact that we have the Google Play Store built in as well. So that's going to expand the functionality of the vehicle for years to come as customers go through find their favorite third-party apps. They can download them directly to the vehicle. They've been designed for the vehicle. And so the level of connectivity that we've put in this new Accord is truly world-class. Yeah, really amazing stuff. And come a long way, I think, in a fairly short period of time. That's terrific. What are some of the other aspects of Accord that you're most excited about? Yeah, I mean, again, Accord, uh, let's not just forget its packaging. Again, we talked about that on the on the pilot as well. But, um, you know, we've got great rear seat legroom, headroom, uh, you know, many of the, the media that came out and, and sat in the vehicle were well over six feet and had plenty of space in the second row. Uh, we have the largest trunk in the segment. so Massive trunk. Massive. <laughs> really incredible. <laughs> a, a big wide opening to get your you know larger suitcases in there. So so in this day and age when I think everybody's you know kind of got that SUV craze, um, you know we're doubling down on sedans. We're offering a lot of functionality, packaging, performance, fuel efficiency that's going to be hard to beat. Right. And you think uh, hybrids are going to be maybe 50% of sales. That's a pretty uh, tall order, isn't it? Yeah. Well, we're really treating this as kind of the, the bridge to electrification, right? We know that if we get con more consumers into hybrids, especially with our improved uh, you know, powertrain this year, um, they're really going to see the benefit of that and, and be more considerate of future electric options. And I look forward to seeing what Honda comes up with in terms of electrics, because Honda, a great engineering company, as you know, and uh, uh, always come up with really ingenious solutions, so that's terrific. Well, Jonathan Rivers, your manager of product planning, as I don't have to tell you at uh, Honda, thanks so much for telling us about both the new Accord and new Pilot, both coming out very, very soon. This is a busy year for Honda. Thanks so much for being with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that's our show for this week. Our thanks to Matt DiLorenzo for co-hosting this week. Look for Matt's great new book, How to Buy an Affordable Electric Car, A Tightwad's Guide to EV Ownership. It's on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So, Matt, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Jack. And while you're at it, please check out my newest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by true crime, which, aside from cars, is a passion of mine. I am not a criminal, but I am fascinated by criminals. And uh, remember, our show is available as a podcast, so look for it on the SportsMap radio website or your favorite podcast outlet. And join us right here again for the next episode of America on the Road.